you're listening to the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Before we get started here, let me just share a little disclaimer. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the medical uses of cannabis. Now, all of the information I present to you in this podcast in general is for education and entertainment purposes only, and should definitely not be considered medical advice. Please never make decisions about your health based on anything you hear me or any other podcast host talk about. I'm simply sharing information that I've collected from talking with professionals with relevant experience or from research studies that are available out there that have been published, but I'm not a doctor, and you should always get your medical advice from a licensed healthcare professional. Now with that out of the way, let's move on. These days, CBD is all the hype. It's the latest health trend that everybody is talking about, CBD oil. Now, it comes from the cannabis plant, and many believe it can help with everything from anxiety and chronic pain to diabetes, even cancer. We're in the midst of a CBD oil boom. The 2018 Farm Bill paved the way for legal hemp production in the United States, seeming to open up a multi-billion dollar hemp market that was now up for grabs. Of all the potential surrounding legal hemp, there was one section of the hemp market that had everyone's attention and that's the CBD market. It's estimated that over a thousand CBD brands came onto the market in 2019, and it's estimated that approximately a quarter of the U.S. population has tried CBD. Health claims have been boasted and promoted by CBD companies, doctors, entertainers, and social media influencers. So what's the deal? Is CBD legit, or is it just another snake oil? And what does CBD actually do to your body? In this episode, we explore the history and the science of the cannabinoid that's currently all the craze, cannabidiol, or as you probably know it, CBD. Hey everybody, this is Jason Wilson with the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. In this episode, we're going to be taking a close look at one of the most popular cannabinoids produced by the cannabis plant, and that's cannabidiol, or as it's better known, CBD. And to guide our curious quest, we're going to be exploring several primary questions. One, what is CBD? Two, how does CBD affect the body? And three, what are CBD's potential therapeutic applications, as well as some of its limitations and risks? So without further ado, let's get started. For the past few years, CBD has been big business. The price of a single one-ounce bottle of CBD tincture can range anywhere from $50 to $200 or more. Compare that to the average cost of a one-ounce bottle of a different herbal extract tincture, like echinacea or elderberry, that would typically cost somewhere between $10 and $20. But what is CBD? CBD is an oily compound produced in the resins of the cannabis plant. Now, whether the cannabis plant is considered hemp or marijuana, they both produce CBD, typically, outside of some uncommon exceptions. In the United States, hemp is classified as cannabis plants that contain less than 0.3% THC. In other countries, the limit can be even lower, sometimes as low as 0.2% THC. 
instead of THC, which is the primary intoxicating compound found in cannabis varieties, they're often called marijuana, the primary cannabinoid that hemp varieties of cannabis tend to produce is cannabidiol, or CBD. Thanks to intentional breeding efforts, CBD can now be found in concentrations as high as 20 or 25% in hemp plants intended for CBD-rich resin production. Now, CBD is markedly different than THC. To start, CBD doesn't really cause any intoxicating or euphoric effects like THC does. This feature's gotten the attention of a lot of people, ranging from medical researchers that want to unlock the potential therapeutic effects of cannabis without the risk of abuse, and all the way to consumers that just want to check out cannabis, but they're not looking to get high. Although CBD is not intoxicating, it is psychoactive, meaning that it does elicit effects from your neurons in your brain. This is a common misunderstanding about CBD. It is psychoactive, but it is not intoxicating. The story of CBD goes back thousands of years, as cultures across time have used non-psychoactive, no, let me correct myself, non-intoxicating varieties of cannabis for different uses. But the most relevant part of our story really starts in 1940, when researchers Roger Adams, Madison Hunt, and J.H. Clark published a report indicating the structure of a compound that they had extracted and isolated from wild hemp in Minnesota. Shout out to listeners in Minnesota, you're a part of CBD history. These researchers named this compound cannabidiol, or CBD as it would become commonly known. CBD was only the second cannabinoid found in cannabis at the time, with the first being cannabinol, or CBN, a degradation product of THC. In 1944, it was discovered that the effects of barbiturates could be extended if administered with CBD, but not with CBN or THC. Researchers didn't understand why this effect was happening, and they wouldn't get their answer till almost 30 years later. For a moment in 1963, scientists in Israel would shine light on CBD once again, until a year later in 1964 when they announced their discovery of THC as the intoxicating component of cannabis. After that, CBD would become a bit more ignored once again until around the 70s and 80s when research into CBD really began to pick up steam. In 1972, it would be discovered that CBD actually inhibits certain enzymes in the body, which affects how the body metabolizes certain foods and drugs. This helped begin to complete the puzzle that stemmed from the barbiturate study that was performed in 1944, nearly three decades prior, that we talked about previously. In 1981, researchers were able to demonstrate anticonvulsant effects of CBD in humans, indicating that it might be an effective treatment for certain forms of epilepsy and spasticity. In 1982, a year later, CBD was found to exhibit anti-anxiety effects, which would later be reconfirmed in 1993. In 1995, it was discovered that CBD improved symptoms of psychosis, and in 1998, the United States government actually filed a patent on the antioxidant and neuroprotective effects of CBD, as well as THC. The 2000s would become the decade of elucidating the activity of CBD. In 2001, researchers began to finally understand more about how CBD actually works in the body by revealing that CBD targets non-cannabinoid receptors in the body, that it stimulates the production of at least one endocannabinoid, anandamide, and it inhibits an enzyme responsible for breaking down anandamide, effectively allowing anandamide to linger in the body longer. 
In 2002, researchers would then confirm that CBD exhibits anti-nausea effects, which had already been reported as far back as the 1800s, when systematic cannabis research really began to take shape. In 2004, it was discovered that at certain dosages, CBD can increase wakefulness and counteract THC-induced sedation. So if you're feeling a little sleepy after using THC-rich cannabis, a little bit of CBD might wake you back up. However, be careful because CBD exhibits what is known as biphasic activity, meaning it acts differently in low doses versus high doses. At high doses, CBD can actually be sedating. In 2005, it was discovered that CBD interacts with certain serotonin receptors in the body, and in 2006, researchers would go on to discover that CBD also enhances adenosine receptor signaling, which is associated with heart health, blood pressure, and body temperature regulation. It was also in 2006 that researchers discovered that CBD can kill breast cancer cells, bringing significant attention to the compound as a potential anti-cancer drug. In 2007, researchers began to understand why CBD reduced the effects of THC in some of their prior research. It turns out that CBD changes the shape and activity of CB1 receptors, even though it doesn't really exhibit much affinity for CB1 receptors directly. In this way, it changes the way that THC actually binds to the CB1 receptor, modulating its activity. This kind of activity is called allosteric modulation. This is why CBD is able to reduce the high associated with THC. It essentially deforms the CB1 receptor so that THC can't elicit the same reaction from the receptor when it binds to it. In 2008, it was discovered that CBD was a potent antibiotic against MRSA, a powerful infection that's commonly picked up in hospitals and often resists treatment. In 2012, researchers discovered that CBD may be as effective as standard antipsychotics. And in 2014, it was discovered that CBD might be able to effectively treat acne in the skin by reducing inflammation, fighting bacteria on the skin, and changing the way that the skin produces oil. In 2018 in the United States, the Agricultural Improvement Act of 2018, also known as the 2018 Farm Bill, was passed which effectively legalized hemp across the United States, including all of the cannabinoids and other chemical constituents of all hemp varieties of cannabis that had THC concentrations below 0.3%. And with that, CBD was removed from the controlled substances list as long as the CBD was hemp-derived. Some may say that the CBD market began at this time, but... Really, CBD products had already been available in foods, cosmetics, and dietary supplements widely for years prior to the legalization of hemp, operating in somewhat of a regulatory gray area. And then in 2019, Epidiolex would officially become an FDA-approved pharmaceutical for the treatment of certain forms of epilepsy in children. The status of CBD as a pharmaceutical drug presents a real problem for the CBD industry as a whole. The FDA does not allow drugs to be added to foods or supplements unless they've been marketed as foods or supplements previously. This is due to a set of laws in the Food, Drugs, and Cosmetics Act. Of course, the irony is that the CBD industry has been around for quite some time, not considering the exposure that humans have had to CBD throughout history just from their interactions with cannabis, but cannabis in all its forms have been prohibited in the U.S. for almost 90 years 
so of course cannabis-derived products have not been openly marketed and sold. And the Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act was enacted in 1938, right around the exact same time that cannabis prohibition began. Considering that cannabis was included in the United States pharmacopoeia for many years all the way up until prohibition began, it's clear that cannabis-derived products had been a part of society well into the 1930s and would have persisted had it not been for cannabis prohibition. So in the 1930s, the opportunity for cannabis to mature alongside the food and supplement industries was effectively eliminated, and the only pathway to get federally legal cannabis-derived products to the public was through pharmaceuticals. And now that hemp-derived CBD and other cannabinoids are federally legal, 90 years later, the government argues that it can't be put into food or supplements because it's a drug. It just seems like an awkward argument when you take the full history into account. Another argument that the FDA argues for resisting making any exceptions for CBD and hemp-derived cannabinoids in foods or supplements is that there's not adequate data available to show that CBD is safe. They've argued that CBD could cause liver damage and interact with other drugs, and thus it should be researched longer before it's allowed to be widely available to be consumed. But the study they cite for this concern is a recent rodent study that looked at dosages that were orders of magnitude higher than the highest dosages used in comparable clinical trials for epidiolex. I should point out that in this study, dosages of 15 mg per kilogram of body weight or less were not found to exhibit these toxic effects, and that's approximately 930 mg or just round up to a gram of pure CBD for an average sized person. I spoke with Dr. Ethan Rousseau about his thoughts on the idea of CBD causing liver damage. I know there's some concern lately too, and there's controversy, of, controversy over some of it, but about the liver toxicity of high doses of CBD as well? Well, I, I think that's a blind alley to be truthful. Mm. Obviously, a lower dose would be better, but um, the liver issues are mainly related to elevations of liver function tests. Mm -hmm. And this is in uh, generally children uh, who are in polypharmacy with a number of drugs, particularly uh, valproic acid, which is well known for being a bad actor in terms of uh, LFT elevation. Mm. Um, so my strong suspicion is that's related to polypharmacy, multiple drugs, rather than a specific effect of cannabidiol. It should also be noted that the World Health Organization issued a report on CBD very recently attesting to CBD's remarkable safety profile. At the time of this recording, the future of the CBD industry is very uncertain, as hemp farmers, CBD product manufacturers, and legislators plead their cases for changes to allow the CBD industry to continue operating as it has, with CBD foods, dietary supplements, and cosmetics readily available to consumers. And now states are taking matters into their own hands, just as they've had to do with anything related to cannabis, and they're setting their own laws for CBD. So now there's a patchwork of state legislation across the United States in regards to CBD. A new state law protects a marijuana byproduct that doesn't have mind-altering effects. Today, properly inspected CBD products are now completely legal in the state, and that's good news for farmers and companies who make those products as it essentially creates a new industry here in Ohio. The greater question lingering around the FDA's involvement in the CBD industry is whether the FDA will actually take action against these CBD companies. 
to date, they primarily seem concerned with going after companies making medical or health claims about CBD, but that could change in the future. But the FDA is always going to go after companies making unapproved medical claims because that's in violation of the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act of 1994, which made it illegal to make such claims without FDA approval. You may also hear this rule um, referred to as Deshay. Now, this is why you see an FDA statement on every dietary supplement label which says something to the effect of, these claims have not been evaluated by the FDA and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And yet, we see plenty of medical claims being made about CBD products. It really seems as though the only pathway forward to a booming legal CBD industry across the country is through changes to federal law to allow an exception for CBD and other hemp-derived natural products. But any law changes that are proposed should be carefully worded. Even if CBD is allowed in foods and supplements, if a law change does not also determine that CBD is generally recognized as safe or grass, then there could be another set of problems for the CBD industry to tackle. Food additives like plant extracts and essential oils have to have grass status to be freely added to foods or formulated into supplements. Until the FDA takes on the role of doing this research and granting grass status to CBD and other cannabinoids itself, it's going to be up to private companies to do their own expensive research to achieve what's called self-affirmed grass status, which only applies to their specific products and not their competitors, even if their competitors are using essentially the exact same ingredients. This essentially makes a playing field where only the most well-funded CBD companies can survive long-term. To put this into perspective, gathering all the data needed to successfully achieve self-affirmed grass status can cost as much as a million dollars or more. At a time when the value of CBD as a commodity is rapidly shrinking, along with CBD product margins, this is a difficult task for small or medium-sized hemp companies to pull off without coming together and pooling their resources. So, okay, these CBD products are on the market. We know people are using them despite, you know, the feedback that the FDA has given. So what are people actually experiencing with CBD? Since the 2018 Farm Bill was passed, CBD shops have popped up across the country and even large retail chains like Kroger, Fred Meyer, CVS, and Walgreens are starting to carry CBD products. Additionally, specialized hemp and CBD-focused wellness stores have made their way into neighborhoods and cities across the United States. I spoke with Wendy Nguyen, an owner of a premier CBD shop in New York City, about her experience operating a CBD store. In a sense, I think the neighborhood felt like they were on the journey with us versus in, versus having like a huge reveal when we were done. So they knew CBD store yeah. was coming. Um, they knew all that. Um, and they embraced it with open arms, you know, so that's something that we are very lucky to have. So in the end, I think for Artemis, we get clients who are very curious about CBD and we're the first stop. So they want all mm, the yeah. inside, you know, they want to know everything, or we usually get their, where they're their last stop, where they've tried, like me, where they've tried everything. Um, they've tried going on pain medication. They've tried going on all that. Mm-hmm. They want to approach in much more of a natural um, plant-based approach. Um, and, and, you know, and we do get some clients are in the middle where they've tried it and it didn't work. And they're coming back for a, another option, mm-hmm. but most likely it's usually the, the ends that we get, you know, and since we've been around now for a few months, we're getting more of the middle, which is they've tried 
their CBD in other stores and now they're coming mm-hmm. back for a second opinion and they're coming to us for that. When we first opened, it wasn't like that. Uh, mm-hmm. With that being said, we had people who were so supportive and they're like, oh, we love CBD, want to try it because, you know, my mother tried it or my dog mm-hmm. tried it. Right, or yeah. Anything. At the other end of the spectrum where they came to challenge, which was, you know, what, what are you guys doing? This is not FDA approved, um, mm. safe at all. Um, so we saw the breadth of clients that we were getting. And, you know, and we really honestly appreciated the support and also the criticism because Mm -hmm. that helped us grow as a brand. That just meant that we had to read a lot more books. That just meant that we had to provide a lot more educational tools in the store. And we redesigned the store actually twice to meet those demands, right? Um, Before when we first opened, our education board was very limited, mainly because we didn't know what we needed to say, uh, as in what was helpful for our clients. Um, But we did that education board uh, probably a month after we opened because we realized this was the need that that they were having. Mm -hmm. Um, And also we designed it to have a a section where there's books available now. And as we were developing, um, we started really working very closely with Dr. Gianna Chin. So Mm -hmm. the education side came much more, uh, I think, full breath uh, later on as Mm -hmm. we were responding to our clients' needs. Um, And with that being said, too, when we redesigned the wall, titration was something that people didn't understand. Titration was something that I didn't understand when I first started, yeah. you know? And we realized too that, you know, reading milligrams to volumes to, you know, <laughs> it was very, very confusing. And a lot of times when clients come in, they'll be like, I'm taking the CBD oil and it's not working. And we go, okay, um, how, how much are you taking? A whole dropper. Like, what does that mean? Right. Milligrams? We don't know. What was the bottle? We don't know. So we realized that the math was very important, that there, there needed to be a little bit of more guideline um, on, on, you know, intake and all that. So we designed a section of this shop to be very focused on titration, which is that, you know, exactly what you're taking, what formulation you're taking, what brand you're taking. Um, and then we started designing, um, you know, little, uh, serving guides for our clients. So every time when a client walks away, they're walking away with a serving guide to, to, to couple with whatever product that they bought. So all of that was really the feedback that we got from all the clients interaction that we had at the beginning of, um, of Artemis. One question that was on my mind when I was speaking with people about CBD was, what dosages are needed to actually get an effect? CBD products on the market have potencies of anywhere from 100 to thousands of milligram per one ounce bottle of oil. When I reviewed the available scientific literature, I found that there wasn't a lot of information available. Epidiolex clinical trials utilize dosages of 5 mg per kilogram of body weight up to 20 mg per kilogram of body weight, or around 310 mg to nearly 1,500 mg for an average-sized person. In 2019, there was a review of dosages that were utilized in published CBD studies, and it was found that dosages below around 2.5 mg per kilogram of body weight were largely ineffective at treating most of the conditions that were being measured, except for things like sleep disorders and anxiety. Now, that would be around 150 milligrams of CBD for an average person. However, the research on CBD dosaging is complicated by the fact that CBD exhibits unique efficacy when it's administered in isolation versus when it's administered in the presence of other cannabinoids, terpenes, and other phytochemistry from the cannabis plant. Many clinicians that I spoke with commented that they were seeing much better results at lower dosages 
with broad or full-spectrum CBD versus isolate. It was interesting when we first started out, we thought half of our patients didn't want THC in their product. This is Dr. James Taylor, a pain physician working in North Carolina. Ever since hemp became federally legal in the United States, he's been working with his patients to understand how hemp extracts, and CBD particularly, might be a tool to help treat chronic pain. So we gave them just CBD, and the others did want a little THC. And what we found is, our, once again, in the waiting room, the people who were trying the CBD products, the ones that had a little bit of THC and had a full spectrum were having profound results. Those that were on the isolate weren't having such profound results. So it was in the waiting room that the patients were talking. So when they came back to the office visit, they said, hey, I I don't want to take the CBD I'm taking. I want to take the one they're taking. (laughs) And so it was the patients that were coming back telling us that this full spectrum was superior over an isolate. So I'm assuming, uh, you know, these large doses that folks need with the the epidemiologs and the CBD isolates is because uh, it's just inferior. It's an inferior product. uh, And you can take much less if you're taking a full spectrum product. I asked Dr. Taylor what dosages he was noticing that his patients were finding relief with. And this is what he had to say. My patients tend to be the poor and the elderly, so they don't have a lot of money. Sure. Um, So we always recommend them to to start low and go slow, right? That's kind of in the industry. Everybody says that. Well, our patients have to uh, because they can't afford a 1,000-milligram bottle. (laughs) They can afford the 250-milligram bottle. And so a lot of our patients tend to find relief uh, in the 8 uh, to 15 milligram uh, a day. Mm range. Uh, and I feel like a lot of that is pre- is financial pressure that kind of keep them there. Um, those that seem to be a little bit more uh, successful uh, typically get up to the 30 to 40 milligrams mm-hmm. a day. Uh, and I'm, I'm saying in very general terms, uh, sure. because we have patients with all kinds of different pain um, uh, problems, whether it's a inflammatory component or it's a it's a bone on bone type of pain or a neuropathic type of pain, uh, they're all different. So I'm gi- giving you very generalizations. Uh, but we have folks that are taking two milligrams a day uh, and some that are taking two hundred milligrams a day. Um, so it's very hard for me to say what milligram uh, mm-hmm. works for folks. Uh, so I do like to go start low and go slow and just find. Uh, you know, really where you're going to settle in. But for me, that's also, we found uh, that also doesn't make sense either because it's the cannabinoid profile uh, that really makes a difference. And we started seeing this in our practice in that we were obtaining a product from uh, one extractor, uh, and then we started obtaining products from another extractor, and our patients were having completely different uh, effects, right? Boy, it used to make me sleep. Now it makes me awake. And we were thinking, gosh, it's CBD. It's the same. Well, no. And we looked under the hood and looked at the cannabinoid profile. And it was a completely different ratio. uh, Or there was hardly any THC in this product. And there was nearly 0.3% THC in this. So we started realizing, wait, CBD is kind of a misnomer uh, in this industry. Why are we even talking about CBD other than it's easy for the consumer to think like that? But it's really cannabinoids, right? And it's these ratios of yeah. cannabinoids uh, that are important. And I think that's what really stimulated us to say, gosh, we have to start looking at this a little differently and a little more scientifically. And it's so much more complex than we realized. Right. Uh, so we did a lot of retrospective data looking at these thousands of patients we have taking this over the last two years. And when we plotted it out, it was not anything that we expected. And I wish I could show you uh, an example where we put 
uh, positive responders in shades of green and a negative responders to a particular, uh, whether we're talking about sleep or pain or anxiety, uh, in shades of red. <clears throat> and it was just a mixture of green and red. So CBD is not this wonderful thing that's going to turn right. everybody green and it yep. works for everybody. No, it half the people it's working positively for and the other half it's working negatively for, but all on different things. Uh, that's when we realized this is very complex, uh, very individualized. And I think that's when we started really paying attention uh, to, we, we need to start looking at people's genetics and the epigenetics. So we understand what they're bringing to the table. Uh, and then I think eventually at the end of the day, it's matching those epigenetics with certain cannabinoid profiles in order to modulate the endocannabinoid system to a desired personal yeah. effect. I also asked Wendy what dosages she was using to manage some of her pain and anxiety symptoms. So I remember I read all the books. I said, I'm going to microdose. And so I started with five milligrams first. Mm-hmm. It was stuff therapeutic, so I didn't really feel much on five milligrams. And yeah. when I was doing New Leaf, I had an episode a really, really bad um, pain episode. And I said, okay, five's not working. So I just took 50. <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah. 50, which was not a good idea. Um, it, it worked wonders. 50 was incredible for me. It really helped with my pain. Um, I also had a patch on two as well. So I was taking 50 milligrams twice a day. I was documenting everything. Um, and then I realized that after three or four days, it stopped working like it was mm-hmm. perfect and then it stopped working and then i went back to dr janella and i said what's happening like 50 was great and then now it's not working and she said potentially you might have kept on your tolerance you went you went up too high mm-hmm. now your body's just not processing it correctly in, in that sense and so we right. went to another formulation for me and that one had mct oil which i didn't know mm-hmm. it myself right so my own journey with CBD, I've recorded everything. And I've realized someone needs to at least give me much more of a helping hand when I first started. And that's mm-hmm. why we're so much more careful when it comes to our clients at Artemis. So we really want to make sure that we're with them the whole time. Um, yeah. But now I know what my therapeutic dose is. Whenever I have an episode, I know what that is. And then I, I would just go back to my, you know, my microdosing um, periods after that. Fifty milligrams gotcha. was perfect, and then when I don't need it, I, I just don't want to go that high in that sense. The frequency of dosing is very important because CBD, like THC, lingers in the body and can accumulate over time with repeated dosing. So it may be that low dosages of CBD might be effective when taken regularly, but when acute relief is required in the moment, higher dosages may be needed. Some people have a very profound effect after taking it initially and within the first couple of days. But the majority of my patients uh, don't feel anything uh, for weeks. Mm-hmm. And it, it sometimes takes up to months for yep, them to yep. eventually, uh, things to start change. So it's very subtle. And so medicines typically have a very profound effect, a very, you know, it will lower your blood pressure, lower your blood sugar, do something, you know, very predictable at a predictable dose. Mm-hmm. And CBD and cannabinoid medicine right now is kind of the opposite. There is no dose. We don't, it, the, the, the effects that you're going to get when taking this are not predictable. So I think educating uh, my patients and the community that don't think of this as a medicine, you know, really think it, it's closer to a, a nutritional supplement mm-hmm. than I feel than it is a medicine at this point because we don't understand it. We know it's modulating and changing your endocannabinoid system, but 
modulating and changing in, in what ways? Right, I can't right. answer that question yep. yet. Yep. Uh, so a lot of this is just hit or miss. Uh, and for me, uh, it, being a physician that's dealing with the opioid crisis, <clears throat> I don't have a lot to lose, right? 60,000 Americans are dying every year. Yep. Uh, we need a Hail Mary uh, in order for this to, you know, for our country to change. And so for me, it, it felt good bringing something like this into the, this practice of medicine uh, because we had nothing to lose. Uh, it is positively affecting our patients. We are able to reduce their dependency on narcotics. And, you know, we are slowly getting there. Uh, but that's only because my organization is set up like mm -hmm. that. But for a patient who's on a narcotic that just think they're going to buy this off the shelf and it's going to miraculously work, very hard to make this work without uh, having a healthcare professional or a nurse that you could call or someone to help guide you through this process, you're going to be lost. So clearly people are having some sometimes profound experiences with CBD, but how does CBD actually affect the body? Like all other cannabinoids, CBD is not incredibly bioavailable in the body. Most of the CBD that anyone ingests is simply excreted, either unmetabolized or as what's called a conjugated sugar, meaning that a glucose molecule adhered to the CBD molecule as it passed through the body. Now, some of the CBD that's ingested sticks to other lipophilic or oil-loving tissues in the body, like fat, which keeps it from circulating in the body and reaching sites of action. But for those molecules of CBD that do make it into the bloodstream and get circulated throughout the body, an interesting series of events begins to take place. First of all, it's important to know that CBD has a very, very low affinity for either CB1 or CB2 receptors, which, as you may remember from episode 6 of the podcast, these are the two primary chemical receptors that make up the endocannabinoid system. Instead of directly affecting cannabinoid receptors, CBD tends to stimulate these receptors indirectly by affecting the production and breakdown of endocannabinoids that the body produces on its own. As mentioned before, CBD stimulates the production of anandamide, which is a partial agonist or stimulator of CB1 and CB2 receptors, much like THC. Additionally, CBD inhibits an enzyme called fatty acid amide hydrolase, also known as FA or FAAH, which would typically break down anandamide, as well as a lot of other things in the body. This allows the anandamide that the body produces to linger in the body longer, thus stimulating cannabinoid receptors for a longer time, at least theoretically. You could think of this as CBD nudging the endocannabinoid system to do its own thing, rather than completely hijacking the system altogether, which is kind of what THC does. That's not to say that the activity of THC is bad or undesirable, it's just very different. Now, CBD also interacts with a putative cannabinoid receptor called GPR55. The GPR stands for G-protein-coupled receptor, which is the type of chemical receptor that cannabinoid receptors are. Just a little technical vocabulary. Now, GPR55 is thought to be responsible for some of CBD's anti-epileptic activity, among other things. In addition to these effects on endocannabinoids and cannabinoid receptors, CBD interacts with a lot of other chemical receptors, including vanilloid receptors like TRPV1 or TRPV1, which are also referred to as capsaicin receptors because capsaicin, the chemical responsible for the spiciness in peppers, also stimulates vanilloid receptors. CBD also interacts with serotonin receptors, commonly associated with mood, sleep, and blood pressure. 
It also influences the activity of adenosine receptors, commonly associated with heart health. And it also interacts with PPAR gamma receptors, which are linked to insulin resistance and diabetes, among other things. In addition to inhibiting enzymes that break down anandamide, CBD also has potent inhibitory effects on a group of liver enzymes called the cytochrome P450 enzymes, which are responsible for metabolizing many common drugs. This inhibitory effect is commonly referred to as the grapefruit effect, because grapefruits are well known to cause the same enzyme inhibition. In fact, you may have once been prescribed a medication that featured a label on the bottle that cautioned against taking with grapefruit. One of the most well-known drug interactions with CBD is with a blood-thinning drug called warfarin. Yeah, so as an anesthesiologist and pain physician that does very heavy into interventional procedures, I'm always concerned about Coumadin. To interject for just a second, in case you don't know, Coumadin is warfarin. Uh, yeah. and, a, a, and we know that it's metabolized in the liver by the cytochrome P450 system, and that's what, as CBD consumers, you should be thinking about that as well. Uh, and there were some studies out there to say that it could affect uh, some bleeding times, but we had not seen that clinically. So our patients who were taking this and that were on a Coumadin um, and that we got laboratory tests, we could not see that their bleeding times changed. So I think theoretically it is possible, uh, but I'm not seeing it clinically. Mm-hmm. What we do see clinically, which could be worrisome, is that when you are taking a CBD product and you're stimulating your endocannabinoid system, which I like to refer to as your inner physician, it's kind of nature's way of keeping you in balance and mm-hmm. healing yourself, as your body is starting to heal, and maybe it is competing with the cytochrome P450 system for certain drugs, uh, plasma levels of these antihypertensives or diabetic medications could theoretically be bolstered a little, and with your health becoming um, improved, we're finding patients needing to get off these medications. Mm. Uh, so a patient uh, who's taking a blood pressure medicine, we don't recommend them taking their CBD at the same time they take their blood pressure. We make we ask them to take that two hours after that, uh, so we're not worried about dizziness or dropping of blood mm-hmm. pressure. And we really encourage them, every patient uh, that gets on CBD, go to your primary care doctor first and let them know you're taking this and have them start to monitor your blood pressure and diabetics mm-hmm. and other so you can reduce these medications uh, if you're able to uh, under their care for for consumers to go out and try to do that on their own I feel is is very risky yeah, uh, yeah. so you know that's that we haven't seen any problems in patients but I, I feel like problems are just right around the corner if uh, we as physicians aren't monitoring these patients as diligently as if we need to CBD also has been demonstrated to exacerbate the negative side effects of some epilepsy drugs like valproic acid Because of these kinds of interactions, it's important that anyone taking CBD with other medications do so under the supervision of a healthcare provider to stay safe. One thing that should be mentioned here is that so far, we've been talking about how CBD by itself in isolation interacts with the body. When CBD is present in a complex mixture, like in a cannabis extract with dozens or hundreds of other compounds, or when it's formulated in a food or topical product with other ingredients, Effects can be very different. A hemp extract product should be judged by the total formulation, not just the quality of the hemp extract used as a single ingredient in the product. It's also possible to manipulate the absorption and bioavailability of CBD using technologies like nanoemulsion, which is a process of 
breaking up a CBD extract into these tiny, tiny droplets the size of a nanometer, which is one billionth of a meter. And then these tiny droplets are surrounded by a little water-friendly casing. What this does is it allows the oil droplets to remain suspended in an aqueous solution. It keeps the oil droplets from coming back together to one another. And this is how you make what's often termed water-soluble CBD, but it's kind of a misnomer. There's really no such thing as water-soluble CBD. Really, what's being made is kind of uh, what would be referred to as a colloid. It's something that remains suspended in solution that doesn't settle or rejoin. Um, it's not really soluble in water, but I digress. So far, we've mostly been talking about how CBD affects the body when it's ingested or inhaled, but what about the effects of CBD on the skin? There are all sorts of chemical receptors in the skin, including cannabinoid receptors, just like you have in other parts of your body. In general, when CBD is applied to the skin, or topically, it only affects the area where it's applied. The exception is when CBD is applied transdermally, usually with a patch. These are similar to like capsaicin patches or even nicotine patches, and they're specially formulated with ingredients that'll help carry things through the skin that normally would have a hard time penetrating. If cannabinoids like CBD can soak through the outer layer of the skin, the epidermis, and reach the lower layer of the skin, the dermis, then it could end up reaching blood vessels and then getting into the blood and being distributed throughout the body. But will CBD actually help keep your skin healthy? Right now, currently in the market, there's much there's uh, CBD beauty focused products that are oil based. So it's usually mm-hmm. like um, basically oil or a beauty serum or whatever it is. Right. But not necessarily in like a cream based, right? Like like a treatment based. Gotcha. In that sense. So I think a lot of times clients when they have acne, their association with oil means more oil. Like if you right right face, it's going to produce more oil, right? So <laughs> right. That's association. So to break down that association to treat acne with oil is it, it takes some time for people to get used to. You know, um, if you if your skin issue I think requires much more in, intensive care, we do suggest you taking it internally. So take it um, as a tincture and also mm-hmm. topical me- uh, method too as well. Um, yeah. yeah, I find that to be for me personally the best approach. Um, mm-hmm. So as much as we advocate taking it for a period of time and then stop taking it, I did that myself. So I took it for eight months straight and then I stopped taking it for two months to see what were my mm-hmm. and all that. And the first thing that went was my skin. My Really? Oh, yeah. Very like, you know, I that was the first thing I noticed. My skin wasn't as healthy, wasn't as um, internally glowy. Not talking about problem, mm-hmm. like internally glowy. Um, as it was when I was on it. That was my, outside of the pain management, of course, uh, that was my biggest motivator. Nowadays, whenever I meet people, that was the first thing they say, like your skin looks naturally glowy. I'm like, honestly, nothing's changed. But my, just the incorporation of CBD in my life, to be honest with you. So you can see that CBD's activity in the body is diverse and complex. We still don't understand the whole picture yet. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Yet, Despite our lack of knowledge about CBD, evidence does seem to indicate that it's a pretty safe compound, even if some regulatory agencies disagree. I've seen a lot of people conflate, even in uh, presentations at conferences, conflate 
the side effect profile of pure CBD at high dosage mm -hmm. to CBD in general, and that's not a fair comparison. Um, I would uh, say that cannabidiol, uh, despite its many complex mechanisms of action, is an extremely safe drug with very few adverse events. The most common adverse effects associated with CBD are things like lethargy, appetite disruptions, and gastrointestinal distress. But everyone reacts to things differently. And in uncommon cases, some people may react unfavorably to CBD, just like they might anything else. But like THC, it's incredibly difficult, if not impossible, to overdose or die from using CBD. At extremely high dosages of 15 milligrams per kilogram of body weight or higher, it is possible to cause some liver damage with CBD, but it's also very uncommon for anyone to ever take dosages that high. To put this into perspective, that equates to a dose of around 1 gram of pure CBD for someone that weighs around 140 pounds, or 62 kilograms. For someone like myself that weighs closer to 200 pounds, that dose would be closer to a gram and a half or 1,500 milligrams of CBD. To put this issue into better perspective, consider that most CBD products readily available on the market have serving sizes that feature doses of between 5 and 50 milligrams of CBD. According to the safety data sheet for Epidiolex, CBD is tolerated well in humans orally at dosages up to 1,500 milligrams per day. Based on the history of research that exists, it's clear that CBD has a lot of potential as a medicine. Research indicates it may be effective at treating things like anxiety, depression, sleep, various forms of spasticity, pain, bacterial infections, and inflammation. When it comes to skin treatment, it might be effective in battling acne and regulating inflammation of the skin. It is true that a lot more research is still needed to understand how to best unlock the therapeutic potential of CBD. But it's clear that CBD is certainly not another snake oil. But like many things, there's a lot of nuance around the topic. One of the big issues that needs to be understood is what dosages are needed to elicit therapeutic effects. While we have a pretty good understanding of what dosages not to exceed to stay safe, we don't have a clear picture of what dosages to shoot for to achieve targeted therapeutic effects under different conditions. This is why many consumers of CBD are leaving it up to trial and error to find the dose that works best for them. And then of course the other sneaky problem is, at what dosages is CBD actually active? And at which dosages are people mostly just experiencing placebo effects? Now, this is a problem that plagues cannabis research broadly and we need to understand these issues better. Of course, another side to the puzzle is, if people are experiencing placebo effects, then is that necessarily a bad thing considering the safety profile of CBD? My personal opinion is uh, maybe it's not such a bad thing as long as you're not breaking the bank to get CBD in the first place. And this brings us back around to where we started and that CBD products currently are heavily inflated in value, although the CBD market is rapidly devaluing, and we should see the prices of a lot of CBD products come much more in line with traditional herbal supplements in years to come. I think it's also critical to acknowledge that CBD is not a wonder drug. It provides relief for some people facing certain conditions, but it doesn't help everyone. 
In fact, in some research trials, CBD actually exacerbated symptoms like seizures and spasticity in some people. As we've discussed before on this podcast, there's no such thing as a magic bullet drug, natural product, or plant that's going to provide nothing but positive benefits to all people all of the time. That's just not the way things work. However, clearly CBD holds some serious potential. So let's briefly review what we've learned. We've learned that CBD is a common cannabinoid found in hemp varieties of cannabis, but it's found in most varieties of cannabis in general to varying concentrations. CBD is not intoxicating like THC is, however it is psychoactive because it does affect neurons. Research into CBD really took off in the 1970s and 80s, but researchers didn't really begin to understand how CBD affected the body until the early 2000s. CBD doesn't interact with cannabinoid receptors very much directly, but CBD does interact with cannabinoid receptors indirectly by stimulating the production of anandamide and inhibiting the enzyme FA or FAAH that would typically break anandamide down. CBD interacts with a host of other chemical receptors in the body, including miscellaneous G-protein-coupled receptors, vanilloid receptors, serotonin receptors, adenosine receptors, and PPAR gamma receptors. And there are others it interacts with as well. CBD inhibits enzymes in the liver that are responsible for breaking down many common drugs, which can lead to elevated concentrations of those drugs in the body. Because of this, it's important to communicate with your healthcare provider if you're taking CBD along with other medications that may be affected by the grapefruit effect. CBD is generally well tolerated by most people at dosages as high as 1,500 milligrams per day. Common side effects of CBD include lethargy, gastrointestinal distress, and appetite changes. At dosages above 15 milligrams per kilogram of body weight, liver damage could begin to take place. The LD50 of CBD is thought to be somewhere above 200 milligrams per kilogram of body weight, or over 12 grams of pure CBD for an average sized person. CBD has exhibited promise as a medicine to treat things like epilepsy, anxiety, depression, bacterial infections, pain, inflammation, and acne, among other things. But more research is needed to properly understand exactly what CBD is effective at treating and at what dosages. Currently, the only CBD pharmaceutical approved in the United States is a drug called Epidiolex for the treatment of certain forms of epilepsy in children. In other countries, you could also find CBD in the cannabis-derived pharmaceutical Sativex, which features a standardized cannabis extract with equal parts CBD and THC. CBD seems to be most effective at dosages above 2.5 milligrams per kilogram of body weight or above around 150 milligrams for an average person, though there is evidence that some people may find relief at much lower dosages. The form of CBD can affect its efficacy, and every clinician I spoke to recommended broad or full-spectrum CBD extracts over isolates, and that it's best to start at a very, very low subclinical dose and slowly titrate your way up until you find your minimum effective dose. So, is CBD a hero or just hype? Well, it certainly seems that for some, CBD is very much a welcome hero. There's no question that it's an effective treatment for some conditions, for some people. It can be quite safe, 
and it could help treat a wide variety of conditions without getting people high. However, I must point out that research has indicated that CBD tends to be much more effective in the presence of THC. So as THC-free CBD products hit the market, keep in mind that those products might not be as effective as a product that contains at least a little bit of THC. But for all of the promise of CBD, there's still a lot of unfounded hype for consumers to wade through. It's critical that consumers pay attention to the quality of CBD products, as well as the dosages. Many CBD products feature incredibly low concentrations of CBD that are likely sub-therapeutic. In addition, CBD products can be quite expensive, leaving consumers paying out fortunes for low-potency sub-therapeutic products. And this trend isn't likely to go away anytime soon. New hemp extract products featuring other lesser-known cannabinoids like CBG, CBC, and CBN are already quickly gaining market buzz, and it won't be long before CBD passes the hype torch onto these other cannabinoids. And with that, I'm your host, Jason Wilson. Thanks so much for listening. Stay curious and take it easy. Special thanks to our guests that were so gracious in spending time with me for interviews that helped construct not just this episode, but other episodes throughout the season. To check out the citations for this episode, and there are plenty, you can check out the show notes by visiting cacpodcast.com. If you want to learn more about cannabis, you can check out the Curious About Cannabis book, available now on Amazon.com and other online book retailers. If you like what we're doing here and want to support the show, please consider supporting us by liking and sharing this episode with your friends and family. You can also choose to support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash natural learning enterprises, where you can get access to the full-length guest interviews, behind-the-scenes content, and a lot more. You can also connect with Curious About Cannabis on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Because it is only through knowledge that we can safely protect them.